0: Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, dear listener, to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. With me again today is co-host Stephen Feldman. I'm Ed Freifugel, and we're here to talk about all things geo. Stephen, how have you been?
1: I've been good, Ed. I mean, we're getting to the end of the summer. This lockdown is going on forever, but um, yeah, no, all in all, I've been good. We've had a good summer. And What about you? You've been traveling. You're back in Barcelona now?
0: Yeah, we're back. School has started, so trying to get back to some sense of normality as as much as we can. Getting back to work also on OpenKage, we've been, you know, in the summer, we kind of take a bit more holiday and try to put things more in kind of a maintenance mode for a bit. So I can spend more time with the kids, but now we're now we're fully back, cranking out a lot of documentation changes and things like that. That's kind of the big project right now.
1: Nice thing about having a SaaS business is that um, you can actually take a holiday and if the tech is well designed, it pretty much
0: runs itself whilst you're away for a week or two. Well, I wouldn't say it runs itself. I mean, there's still some involvement, but definitely you can minimize it, yeah, and reduce yeah. it to an hour a day or whatever for, for a period of time. So, yeah, so that's been going quite well. But you also have had uh, some news to celebrate. Uh, it's the. Yeah,
1: we have. We have. Last Sunday, which is the. I think the 7th of September was the second birthday of Mappery. Quite an achievement. Two years, over 400 posts, uh, about 500 people following us on Twitter. Yeah, it's quite, you know, it was quite a landmark for us. Um, when we started it, I don't think we had any idea how much work it was going to be, but um, it's turned into a real something.
0: Well done. Congratulations to all involved. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and
1: particularly, thank you to anybody listening who's sent us pictures of their maps in the wild. And if you're a listener out there who hasn't sent us a map in the wild, it's about time you got started.
0: Indeed. And it's also about time to uh, subscribe, and follow along, be it on Twitter or via the, the newsletter or what have you. So encourage everyone to get on board. And actually, I think later today I'm going to be publishing a new episode of the podcast where you interview the maker of the the porcelain map in Delft, which came about through Mappery, yes?
1: Indeed, yeah. So, yeah, there's a really, there's a nice loop there where an OSDO friend pointed me to this ceramic map of Delft, which prompted an article feature on Mappery and then i reached out to nan who was the creator of this map and we did the interview for the podcast and coming up in a few weeks time we've got nan actually talking to us at a geomob event as well so you know it seems that all of these threads come together for us
0: indeed indeed well so yeah what are we going to talk about today stephen it's
1: i thought we've been a, we've been in a sort of Slow mode in the summer. You know, you've been on holiday, I've been here in London working in the garden and doing stuff. Um, But there's been stuff going on in the geo world that we haven't had a chance to talk about. So I thought it might be an opportunity to look back at a couple of fairly big bits of news in the geo world and for us to chat about them and get our views on that and share them with our listeners. So should we start with what was probably what we thought was the big news of the summer which was Mapillary being acquired by Facebook. I don't know if people saw that but back in June Mapillary were bought out by Facebook. What do you think about that? Ed?
0: Well, it's obviously very interesting in a so of different ways. First of all, it's a I guess a success story for the Mapillary team. In that I remember when they first introduced themselves. That was at State of the Map Europe, I think, in twenty fourteen, in Karlsruhe. And they, you know, in how big and impressive the service has become, and how many people have contributed, and and the data set. And also the technology. I mean, a lot of people, it, so for those that don't know it, it's kind of a crowdsourced, you could think of it as kind of a crowdsourced uh, Google Street View. So people walk around, take photos, or you have a camera that's always taking photos, and it gets uploaded, of course, with the, the coordinates and everything, and so we know where it is. And very useful tool, of course, for OpenStreetMap, so you can get... You know, when you're back at your desks, you can look at the pictures and and do some mapping and things. But there's actually quite a lot of interesting technology behind it in terms of image recognition and uh, very cool things going on there. Also in the context of driverless cars and, you know, mapping of road, you know, so basically you just have the car drive down the road with the camera going all the time and it records every possible street sign and all that kind of things. I was actually at an event, I guess that was in February, it was probably one of the last trips I took before the lockdown. Um, where I saw them give a presentation about, you know, the challenge of of identification of street signs when you do it for the whole world. So of course, every country has it slightly differently, and and all kinds of different scripts, and you know, uh, in Chinese and Arabic, and uh, you know, of course, the street sign can be obscured by branches and things. So it was really non trivial what they were what they were doing and what they had built. So very impressive success story in that regard, and it's massive as uh- well. Oh, yeah, it's huge. I mean, the the data set is absolutely gargantuan. And of course, it's also impressive in that this was a European company. They're based in headquartered in Sweden. I think they have kind of a remote team. I know one of their team members was based here in Barcelona. Very sharp guy who I saw present a couple of times at various events here. But I guess there's a twinge of regret there in that. Is this the fate of any kind of successful european startup to eventually be acquired by one of the american giants be it you know facebook or, or one of the others so
1: well I, mean, I would say i'd say all power to these guys you know it's a fantastic outcome you know i mean you don't
0: well you don't Stephen,
1: start a business thinking you're going to go on you know does everyone have to start a business thinking that the end game is world domination
0: no not at all it's just is the end game you have to be run from silicon valley and and of course within the the open street map community you know there are a lot of people who are not so excited about facebook and the reputation for privacy and things like that and that facebook now controls this company so definitely there were some negative vibes coming from some parts of the community around this acquisition
1: yeah i get that i get that i mean yeah from a privacy perspective it might have been you know, nicer if Apple had bought it, for example. But ultimately, they set out to build a colossal data set. And somebody was going to want to, to leverage value from that. And all power to them. Apparently, they only raised about $25 million throughout their journey.
0: Hmm. Wait, do we have, you know, we have any, idea, I don't know. any idea what the size of the transaction was when they sold? I don't. I don't think it's been published.
1: It certainly hasn't been published that I know of, but you know.
0: I assume it's much more, yes, than 25 million.
1: Yeah, I think, I think those guys have made themselves a pretty good deal. They've probably taken a chunk of Facebook stock, which isn't going to be a bad thing either. Yeah. I think uh, as an investor in startups, you know, if we'd invested in um, in right at the beginning, We'd be delighted that Facebook could come in and taken them out. We wouldn't be thinking, "Oh, of course, Well, oh, I'm not. I'm not sure it's the right company. But I suppose the question that comes up, and I was reading a blog post by uh, Joe Morrison, which I think we'll put in the in the uh, show notes because it's a really good post, and he asks some questions about. Um, why do you think Facebook decided to buy Mapillary? And I think that's an interesting question for us to talk
0: about. Yeah, he kind of lays out three reasons, and I guess the answer could be a combination of all three. But just to briefly run through his points, a, a excellent article, and and yes, everyone should read it, and we'll get it in the show notes. So his first thesis is that it could just be to make sure to hurt Google, to make sure Google can't acquire this, and that you know eventually, at some point, as Facebook builds up their their mapping capability, they can. Currently in the consumer space, that's an area that Google is absolutely dominant and that it could be a way for Facebook, you know, slowly but steadily through Mapillary, through all of their work with OpenStreetMap to kind of undermine Google's position of dominance in that space. I don't know, what do you think of that thesis?
1: Well, I think that the big battle that hasn't really played out yet is going to be between Facebook and Google. They are Two businesses with the same target market. They want the advertising dollars, you know, and they approach it in different ways, but basically they're both after the, the same space. And you know, Amazon and Apple aren't really competing in that space with them. So it makes sense to me that sometimes you do something just to block or to hurt your competitor. And um, one of the points I think that he makes somewhere in his article is that. The Mapillary database is, has been free to use for a long time. And in fact, Facebook have announced, if I remember correctly, that they're taking out the um, restrictions on commercial use. So now it can be used commercially as well as uh, in individual projects and for the uh, OpenStreetMap project. And that really... Sort of puts it to Google a bit because Google have been very protective of their Street View data. You know, you can't use it in any other way but within Google.
0: Right. So yeah, until now that's been a very unique asset that Google had, and, uh, mm. and now there's an alternative. So yeah, and they're making it free. Yeah. The second second point that he puts up is that this is basically an effort. Mapillary had all these guys who are experts at this kind of image analysis and. And that this will flow into their Facebook's work around augmented reality. And, you know, they they have the, I forget the name of the company that they have with Oculus. Oculus. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously Facebook has been active in this space. I don't think, you know, there's been a lot of hype around that space and we haven't really seen it play out just yet. Partially, probably it's the form factor or, you know, who really wants to wear these goggles around. But. You know, it seems like as time moves on, that technology gets better and better, and, and I'm sure there'll be other form factors. And, you know, so having a stable of of engineers who are absolute experts in this space, you know, could, of course, be a great asset there to deploy on this problem. So that, that logic seems somewhat compelling to me.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of an AR. I guess I'm too old for all this AR stuff, you know. I mean, I tried out Google's, you know, at some stage Google had a sort of an augmented reality layer on maps where you could walk and it sort of was pointing arrows and yeah. things at you. And, and just the idea of walking along with the phone up in front of your face and Probably tripping over or something because you're looking at the phone, not aware you're walking. It didn't work for me, but I do it. I recognise that this stuff is going to come, and you know, and uh, so it is a play. I suspect that um, the image recognition side and these guys' ability to draw information and intelligence from imagery in at vast scale is going to be of more interest than the. Uh, than the AR side. And Facebook are already working on that stuff, as we know, with the automated extraction from satellite imagery right, right, exactly. that they're doing mm. for OpenStreetMap already. So they're all in that space, you know. And, um,
0: and I, I yeah. just want to say, I agree, people are probably not going to walk around holding their phone up in front of their face, but, you know, many, many people do that when they're driving. You know, if you go into Google Maps and, you know, people have their phone up on their dashboard mounted... And they punch in their destination and then it kind of shows you, you know, up ahead, take a right, you know, and it's, it's not dissimilar.
1: It's not dissimilar. And if you could, you know, if you had, um, you know, and you can, I've never, I don't use it that way, but if you wanted to, you can switch the street view layer exactly, and navigate seeing, seeing pictures. I mean, where I think it would be valuable is, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a turn on the right and there's, I don't know, a supermarket or a, a 7-Eleven or whatever it is, and um, and the directions can actually say to you, turn right at the uh, at 7-Eleven or something like that. So you're using the, and you've got a picture of it flashing up as well. You know, I can see how it will all come together. You know, it's a valuable data set, this mapillary data set, you know, really valuable data set. And, you know, somebody at Facebook probably thought, There's some good tech here. It'll stick one in the eye to Google and that's all, you know. I mean, that's got to be worth, in their terms, you know, what, $50 million just to piss Google off a little bit? You know, I can imagine somebody saying that's fair enough. Yeah,
0: sure. Well, and of course, the perverse thing is that all of these tech companies have benefited so much from the the rise in stocks with the pandemic. You know, everyone, and, and so as a result, they're, you know, probably... Some of it was probably paid in cash, some maybe in shares, which are very valuable. So, you know, this issue of, though does this mean that every every startup will have to give, eventually be acquired by one of these Silicon Valley monsters? Is that, the, is that the the end game for everyone? That does kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth in some ways. And I think it also raises some issues, of course, for the OpenStreetMap community, you know, which is already grappling with this whole issue of corporate membership and, and should should open stream, the open source community embrace companies like Facebook or Amazon who are using the data set and enhancing the data set? Or should they be seen as, you know, should they be kept at arm's length or, you know, what the relationship should be? It just feels like it's so unequal, you know, with so much money these companies have.
1: There's two things there, Ed, I think. Um, I mean, I think there's the general is the target for every startup to get bought out by an American tech colossus? And I think the answer is definitely not. You you and I have co-invested in a number of things over, over the last few years. And I think we could look at them and say really clearly, which ones might get bought by a Google or a Facebook and which ones, you know, that's not their exit route, you know, and I mean, there are lots of good startups that will grow and be successful potentially be exceptionally successful but won't get bought out because it's just they're in spaces that the tech colossi aren't going to be interested but there are also you know there are some places where I know I invested in one business where on the day we invested and you didn't invest in this one with me but a couple of other people did and we said within three years with a bit of luck Google will decide to buy these guys I'm not going to say who it is, and they haven't decided to buy them yet. But if anyone at Google is listening and wants to know, <laughs> give me a call. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no great. yoke know, I don't think there's anything wrong in building some really cool technology that you recognise is going to take is going to be worth much more within a larger company than you can possibly make from it yourself. You know. If you're in an artificial intelligence, for example, or something like that, you know, you probably, you know, is DeepMind doing better within Google than it was doing, would have done on its own? What do you think? Mm,
0: Don't know. Don't know. Well, it is true that those companies have such massive exposure to literally billions of consumers across all their different brands that obviously it can be a, Hmm. it can be a way to take the software and get it, get it to those billions of people. And potentially make it much much more valuable when, the, when that software builds on a network effect where it needs that exposure yep. to many people. So.
1: so I read a blog post from DeepMind, in fact, recently, you know, and they'd been working with the Google Maps team on predicting journey times. All right, okay. And apparently Google's algorithms in the Maps team that they've already got have something like a 97% accuracy in predicting journey times. But it's actually, in cities like London or probably Barcelona, it's exceptionally good. You know, it will be more accurate than that. And in some places, it's atrocious. You know, it's down to sort of 80% accuracy or something like that. And the DeepMind guys worked with the Google team, the Maps team, on using, I think it was neural networks. I don't know what it was, but it was some tech that I didn't really understand and lots of diagrams in the blog post. But the point was that they had they had to explore, they had various ways and they knew how to get accurate predictions. What they didn't know how to do and what they worked with Google on was how could we do this at a global scale where there are, you know, maybe, I don't know how many hundred million journeys an hour being calculated. You know, I mean, the, the numbers that you're talking about and the scale of it, you know, with billions of people using Google Maps and calculating accurate journey times for all of those is a phenomenal challenge. And what they did with Google was get this to work at a global scale.
0: Well, impressive, no doubt. But the first thing that leaps to mind for me there, I mean, not to, not to be too paranoid, is like, how do they measure success? Is it because they're then tracking the person, the movement of their phone? You know, is Google going to be like, you know, that journey was only supposed to take five minutes, but you took seven minutes. What were you doing in those extra two minutes?
1: I think it's done on a slightly more aggregate level over there. But I mean, the whole thing works because people opt in to share their location.
0: Well, well, that's a whole other topic, Stephen, in that, like, do people realize they're sharing their location? Do you really have a choice? Like, can you use Google Maps without sharing, you know, like? Yeah. yeah.
1: Can I refer you, my dear co-presenter, to an early episode that I recorded interviewing Ed Parsons, where we talk about sharing location and some of the information that they derive from that? I mean, Good or bad, that's how it worked. But getting back on track, because we're drifting a little bit, was that you know, you had a really smart technology business in Deep Mind, and they are able to do massively bigger things and have more impact, maybe working within a large organisation than they could as a standalone. And I think Mapillary will have, you know, they'll go on and do much more, and, you know, they'll go from a billion images to five billion images or whatever in the next five years or something, you know, it'll, yeah, with the backing of Facebook, you know, they, you know, their growth could be unlimited.
0: Well, I agree. I agree. And I think one thing that people in the open street map community, you know, don't give Facebook enough credit for is there are many, if I, if I need to get a map of of somewhere in Europe, there are numerous people who can provide that for me at different price points and different levels of accuracy or whatever. But you know, Facebook truly has global reach, and that they're building all this technology around OpenStreetMap and you know satellite image recognition and all this kind of thing to to really generate maps in places where maps still don't exist or are very low quality. You know, because if you you know as you travel around the world, almost every person in the world has a has a Facebook account, it be it a Facebook, WhatsApp, or Instagram. You know, one of their different brands. So. Amazing potential there to to harness all that.
1: Yeah, and you keep coming back with for the OpenStreetMap community to to the question about what is what's the mission, what's the purpose of OpenStreetMap, and it's absolutely great if it's if it's a playground for a million enthusiastic mappers. If it's the sandbox in which they play and they produce a map, and, and producing the map is what they want to do, and that's great. But if the map is actually about the people who use it rather than the people who create it, if that's where your mission is, you know, and then you want the reach and the resources and the help that some large companies can bring to it.
0: Hmm, agree, uh, agree.
1: You know, I think, uh, you know, I've always been an advocate that um, OpenStreetMap should find find ways to work with these large companies and embrace what they can they can contribute make certain that the data remains open and free to use and free to reuse and all of those things but absolutely get those companies on board you know and if if you think of all the people who aren't google who really need you know high quality mapping at but um that's current and detailed, all those people should be contributing to OpenStreetMap rather than try to reinvent the wheel themselves, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously as, as someone who has a company that's a corporate member of the OpenStreetMap Foundation, clearly this is a view I share. So, one other- Imagine if Apple had- Oh, if Apple got behind OpenStreetMap beyond just using it.
1: Yeah, instead of pouring money into trying to compete directly with Google.
0: Anyway, enough. Anyway, yeah, that's an ongoing yeah. topic for forever. So there was yeah. one other uh, interesting bit of news that, that we wanted to ta- discuss, and that was the launch of Microsoft's new flight simulator software, which is pretty visually stunning. I haven't played it myself, but but some of the images that I've seen are just fantastic. And and it seems it is based heavily, at, at least in some areas, on OpenStreetMap as well, with some, some humorous outcomes there. Maybe you want to share the one anecdote that uh, What,
1: the Melbourne Tower? Exactly,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just before we get to the Melbourne Tower, you've got to sort of set out what a stunning achievement this new Microsoft Flight Simulator is, you know. They've taken the whole globe and they've rendered it in stunning 3D. I mean, it is photorealistic, you know. They've draped it with imagery that it's just... A spectacular achievement, and there's an interesting suggestion that the whole thing is just a showcase for um, for Microsoft's AI technology and their ability to do this at colossal scale and then to render it at colossal scale, and it really is stunning. But at the bottom of it, in terms of a base map on which they drape this stuff, is, is OpenStreetMap because Microsoft are another company that contribute and use to OpenStreetMap and use it. So they've got a base map, which is OpenStreetMap, and they're using some of the OpenStreetMap data to give a sense of building heights. And if I got this right, Ed, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a tag that you can use on a building, which says the number of... um, Number of floors. Of levels, number of floors. And you can set it at any number that you know that, that you want. And by mistake, there is a building in Melbourne which somebody set to 230 store stores. No, I, I, know, so. I think
0: it was 212. So it looked like the guy had typed two, then had tried to type one. The, you know, somehow he had a typo. So instead of just typing two, he had right. two, one, two. Um, and of course, it's actually only a two-story building. So,
1: so you've got this this tiny... Finger that sticks up out of Melbourne and provides—it's—it's um, it's a landmark building that doesn't exist. But also, if you're you're playing a flight simulator game, you have to watch out for this thing because all of a sudden you can fly into this artificial building when you're actually flying at five thousand feet or something.
0: Well, I think what's also interesting is that actually the this guy—it was just a typo when he entered the data, and it was actually quite quickly fixed by the local OpenStreetMap community or noticed, you know, because it was such a jarring error. It just happened to be that the snapshot of data that Microsoft took still contained the error. So.
1: I don't know if they've corrected that yet, um, but. um, Well,
0: I saw numerous people. Presumably. Numerous people advocating that they should keep it as kind of an Easter egg and it should be named, you know, Steve Coast tower or something. So.
1: Yeah, but the whole thing with the flight sim, the flight simulator and I, I really recommend anybody who has not seen videos of this, even if you're not a game player, these videos are just spectacular. You know, I was looking at one where somebody was flying over the Thames and you can actually see realistic ripples in the water on the River Thames. You know, I mean, it's just spectacular
0: well steven you know that that's the ultimate lockdown solution pretty soon you just you know you plug into the matrix and you'll never have to leave your house
1: (laughs) yeah well i hope not ed but i do think uh, for people like you and me who've sort of grown up with vector geography you know and i'm sure i've said this before you know seeing what people are doing with imagery and the smart stuff that they're doing with it and the the way, the way that they can visualize this stuff at colossal scale. This is changing the way we do geography. You know, we were just talking about mapillary and the idea you know, that you might use, sort of, it might be some kind of augmented reality. This is, this is beyond augmented reality, isn't it? You know, I mean, this is, you know, you're, no, you're not gonna be able to tell the difference between real and unreal and,
0: and digital in a while. Well, I just think you know, computing power has gotten so affordable and at such scale, even for you know, someone at home in their bedroom can, you know, spin up a thousand Amazon servers. And likewise, now everyone has access to the data, be it be it OpenStreetMap or the, all the other open data sets, be it the Mapillary image set or you know, and so the the room for experimentation and creativity is has really widened. I mean, this used to be things that that were impossible or were only available to people who had immense resources. And now we're seeing some really, really cool stuff from from very small teams, you know.
1: Yeah. And what I think is it, you know, it's really changing and it's for us is when you had the previous version of Flight Simulator, I, I don't know, but you know, I mean, because apparently it's about 10 years since they released a new version of Flight Simulator. You had a a DVD that you put into a drive on your computer and you played it on your your computer or you had um, you know an Xbox or something, which is like a DVD drive on a computer. But it was all going on locally and you have massive graphics processing capability running on a local machine and a DVD, which was the sort of biggest form of sort of cheap storage that you could get that you ship the Data on, and that's how you run these things. Now, the whole thing is running in the cloud.
0: Right. Um, Well, and then now you're doing it in real time with your friends on the other side of the world. Amazing.
1: And you can be doing things like um, you could have today's weather feed coming into this, and actually be simulating the wind and everything else in real time in the application. You know, in a flight simulator or you know, looking at the water and seeing the action of the wind and it actually being calculated from the real wind wind feed that you're getting from a weather service, you know. I mean, some of this stuff is quite unbelievable. Did
0: you ever see that little skit video where the – this was when Google Earth came out, and so the guy's sitting at his computer and he starts zooming in on Google Earth and he zooms in on his house and he keeps zooming in and he zooms into, like, his window and then – he can see himself looking at the you know. It, it, you know, and 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 he gets off. And then yeah. he turns around, and on Google Earth, he turns around, and it's like it's completely real time. Yeah,
1: yeah. As you said that, I was thinking. I remember when. Do you remember the, the arguments that there were when Street View first came out about privacy? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think in Germany, for example, in Germany, you say um, how many
0: many houses are are greyed out because if any if out. any person who lives in the house in the building can request that the building be grayed out.
1: Absolutely, and I remember just as an experiment, I wanted to see how easy or difficult it was to get that done. So when the first release of Street View came out, I put in the application to have our house grayed out, and my children were absolutely furious with me when they discovered, because they couldn't go and look at their house on Street View. Interestingly enough, actually, I discovered later on that when each time Google goes back and re-surveys the streets, you know, with the street view cars, it comes, if you've had your house grayed out, it reappears. You have to actually keep going back to do it. I'm not but
0: sure, that, I'm not sure that's thinking, the case in Germany, but maybe maybe uh, may Okay, well it
1: is in, but what I was thinking of is, at the time, you know, there was a lot of outrage about privacy here as well, and there were certainly people who believed, and, you know, why are we going back, uh, seven, eight years now? That Google had cameras that were looking into their houses and everything, and of course that was not the case. You know, they were taking photographs and stitching them together. But but now we're actually at a stage where following things with satellites, uh, which was sort of science fiction a few days, few years ago, is now a reality. You know, and security forces track cars and individuals from. From drones and satellites. Exactly, you've and... got the, the
0: insect-sized drone flying behind you, and yeah. Uh...
1: You know, so the idea that um, that skip where you you zoom in and you see yourself looking at your your computer is probably not that far away. You know, another decade and we'll probably be there. <laughs>
0: On that cheery note, I guess we should wrap things up, Steve. We've rambled on for a bit.
1: A bit of science fiction, a bit of maps, a bit of imagery, jumping to a flight simulator. Time to go and make coffee.
0: (laughs) Good talking with you, Steve. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOB podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Freifogel. You can check out Mappery at Mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.